Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, Koshi here. Before we get into this episode of The Call, I've got a favor to ask. The bigger the Ausbiz audience, the more we can invest in great content and keep providing quality investment ideas to you for free. If you could just take a minute of your time to leave a review of the call in the Apple Podcast app, it'll help keep our tribe growing. And of course, don't forget to catch up with all the best interviews each day at ausbiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the call. Good afternoon. This is The Call. It's great to be here with you on this Friday afternoon. I'm Nadine Blaney. This program is the one. Ten companies picked by you, two experts to discuss the stocks over 60 minutes on the 20th of August. A huge welcome to those of you who are watching us on Facebook and Twitter. We do this program every day of the week between 12 and 1 Eastern. And uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Great to have you here with us. And I've got a couple of great guests. There is a first time for everything, and this is the first time that we've got Quin Luke Winchester from Meriwether Capital and Claude Walker from A Rich Life on the call together. And Claude, well, hello to both of you, first of all, but I understand you guys know each other professionally? Yes, because we're both interested in small cap stocks. We have um, been interacting for many years, and um, I will disclose that I'm actually a small investor in Luke's fund. Well, good, and congrats, Luke, on getting that up and running. Uh, Luke, it's been a busy time. It's been a busy time for all investors over the past couple of weeks. Quick thought on how reporting season has gone for the companies that you know and love so far. Yeah, look, been very, very busy. Um, I think reporting season's gone pretty well. The, the actual reported numbers are, are really strong. Um, it's, it's no surprise most companies have been a little bit unwilling to come out and put some firm guidance out into the market. Um, uh, like I said, that, that doesn't surprise me much at all. You've just got so many COVID impacts, supply chain issues, a lot of reasons why companies are keeping it tied to their vests. Most are saying they'll wait for AGM season to maybe come out and provide updates and guidance. But the actual numbers being reported are fantastic. You're seeing a lot of capital being given back to shareholders from the major miners and the banks. Um, the small caps where Claude and I prefer to play, had a, a few of them start to trickle, uh, trickle through. Most of them will be um, next week and, and, and week after. So um, wait, wait, wait and see how it really ramps up for us. But so far, so good. Yeah, Claude, so you're being run off your feet. But so far for you, has it been a, a good running off your feet? Uh, well, yeah, I guess so. The um... I think, as everyone knows, my largest shareholding is ProMedicus, and at, at these valuations, I'm already uh, I'm already braced for the share price to drop. Um, but surprisingly, it went up like 10 percent or more on the results. So um, that's carried me through pretty well for the last week. But of course, as Luke says, we've got the majority ahead of us coming next week. Yeah, looking forward to it. Hey guys, just send me a quick note if there's one that really catches your eye next week that you think that we should cover. I'm I'm all ears. Uh, let's get to a company that reported today, which to your point, Luke, uh, is finding it difficult to provide guidance going forward. I don't think it will come as any surprise that it is in the 
you know, the retail space. So while we saw Adair's delivering record full year numbers, online sales really doing well as well, up by a third. The latest lockdowns hurting sales into the first seven weeks of fiscal 22. Still shareholders getting a 10 cent final dividend down from 11 cents. Total dividend though, 23 cents per share, which is more than double the payout in FY 2020. Um, look, Luke, I'm going to start with you on Adairs. I will timestamp this saying that shares are up by about three and a half percent, you know, just past 12 p.m. on this Friday afternoon. It, the commentary coming from the CEO was, yes, lockdowns are unknown, but it still fully believes that it will continue to benefit from this home as a sanctuary trend, you know, a place that you're not just coming into at the end of the day, but you're wanting to make comfortable because in large part you could be spending most of your time there. Yeah, look, there's a, a couple of trends benefiting the company, and um, you know, even even with stores being locked down, um, full credit to management. They've transitioned to their online channels absolutely fantastic. You touched on it there, Nadine. Um, you know, sales sales were up like a hundred and something percent for the year. Um, look, the result today was was largely pre-flag, so the the, the headline numbers uh, are not too surprising. About thirty percent uh, revenue growth, eighty uh, percent profit growth. Um, I think, as you touched on, all eyeballs went straight away to the Outlook statement and your, and your FY22 update. Um, and they look pretty strong to me. I mean, look, they've excluded the stores that are, are being um, forced to close because of COVID. Um, but, but excluding that, they're, they're doing 5% like-for-like sales. And, and again, the online channel continues to do really well. I mean, still growing at 13%, um, despite cycling 130% um, uh, like-for-like. So, um, you know, it's, it's a really well-run business. And I think there's the potential for the market to sort of you know, lose the forest between the trees here. Like so much focus being put on the macro and, and you know, what does the short term look like cycling these COVID comps? Um, this is a really, really well-run business. Um, full credit to the management team. Um, like I said, they've genuinely turned it into a true omni-channel retailer. 37% of their sales coming from online. Um, their Linen Lovers membership program is fantastic. Um, you know, they generate the majority of their sales from these members. Um, that continues to grow. So they're really giving value to their customers. Um, I, I really like the business. Look, the, the PE, it, it trades at about 10 times now. You know, how you want to extract that number moving forward is, is a little bit difficult. But, you know, overall, I think this is a, a really well-run business. Um, and, 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 you know, I'd back management team to sort of get you through any sort of, um, uh, you know, turbulence in this, in, in this sort of uh, post-COVID uh, period. Shares at $3.82, would you be buying now? Yeah, look, I, I honestly would. I, I take a longer term view. Um, like I said, uh, it, 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 it's hard to sort of to say, you know, tomorrow or, or over the next few months, what will it look like? But um, it, it's a management team that's executed so well and I back them to do that. So if, if you're buying today on a, on a you know, one, two, three year view, I think you do really well, even at these prices. This time last week, Claude, we were talking about baby bunting, you know, category killer, uh, done really well through the pandemic. But again, when it comes to these retailers, it's where is the runway? From here, where's the room to grow? I'm sure you've read the commentary coming from Adairs. I'm sure you do enough research just looking around yourselves as well. I mean, do you think that there is still life left in this whole transition to really kitting out our homes? Uh, well, yes, I think that, you know, this is a fairly good category in retail, but there's a fair bit of nuance in terms of how I would look at Adairs because what Adairs is, is um, a fairly, in my view, modestly priced retailer. And I owned it up until the, earlier this morning um, because 
basically it was so it was so cheap based on earnings multiple and dividend yield and it gave my uh, portfolio some balance because obviously i'm skewed towards high growth high multiple stocks but for me when i bought um when i bought adairs about a year ago i, I was paying mostly below three dollars fifty and my basic view was basically that you know this would rebound and it's it's roughly um performed in line with with the overall market so it's not some great success for me the reason i've sold out my final package today i sold some a little higher previous to earnings is because i think that um this time the lockdowns and delta and all of those things are going to be much worse for adairs than they were previously when we had the lockdowns last year there was very generous support and after a quick couple of weeks of, of panic, you know, everyone kind of settled into the fact that they actually many people had more money but, than before and um, they, they were actually better off. But it's not been so um, strong this time. So I basically I have a bearish outlook for a company like Adairs right now. And so and, and given, you know, retail for me is always is always only a trade. I'm, I'm always looking to to time that kind of investment. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm all out of it, Des. Now, not because I think it's bad business. I actually agree with everything Luke said, except the the would you buy thing. Um, I think that if you wanted to to buy and hold this one for the dividend for five years, you're probably going to do quite well, or or, or definitely, you know, it's not a bad idea. But just the way I approach retailers is more. I'm trying to pick because they're so they're so lumpy and, and things can change so quickly in retail, as, as we often see. So for me, um, yeah, it's, it's time to it's time to leave Adairs behind with um, lockdowns going harder for longer. You know, I think we've just had an extension in Sydney, and, and honestly, I think we're going to see more extensions and more lockdowns in more states as Delta spreads throughout Australia. So, yeah, look, not, a not a great time for me. To, yeah, it's a sell for me basically, but not well, because the company's bad, just because of the macro. That's okay. We know that uh, in the context of this conversation. Uh, you know, oftentimes we're talking, well, clearly it's information only. It's not advice for somebody's specific circumstances. And Claude speaks to his circumstances, which we do appreciate. Let's get to the list, shall we, guys? It has been uh, put to us from our viewers. This one is for Brett Polynovo. This company has not yet reported. It does next week, Thursday the 26th. Uh, reading some broker reports on some recent research um, that seems to conclude that Polynovo's product has been more resistant to infection compared with some of the other technologies out there. So Claude, maybe you can talk to us about this one from, uh, yeah, from the perspective of whether or not its technology is better than others to address burns and wounds out there. Uh, well, I, I wish I had that kind of scientific expertise, but unfortunately I can't. I have also seen research that suggests that doctors that do know what they're talking about like Polynovo. And I guess as investors, uh, the best evidence we have for the fact that it does have a better product is essentially that the revenue keeps going up. Generally speaking, it's very difficult for medical companies like Polynovo to launch a new product and then start taking make market share unless their product really does have something going for it um, because it's safer for the doctors to just stay stuck in their ways and, and keep doing what everyone's done because then they're unlikely to get run into trouble. So there has to be a reason to shift. Um, I think in their last announcements, they were talking about uh, about 50% year-on-year revenue growth for the last uh, for the last um, uh, financial year that, or the one that they're about to report. It was a kind of a little bit of a, a pre-announcement there, I think. 
Um, but the the catch here is that the it has an astronomical revenue multiple. So ideally, I guess you'd be buying Polynovo shares when the market was still very skeptical about whether it would succeed. But with its current valuation, it just it has so many years of of growth of high growth to go on. It's one point five billion dollars already is the market cap, and in the in the last quarter, you know they did about um, five million US dollars. And if you sort of annualize that, I think it works out to about twenty eight million um, Australian dollars. So we're talking like fifty times revenue at the moment. Um, now look, medical device companies at maturity get really high margins, so it could be a good business, and it could. Uh, justify its price eventually, but right now I'd say that side of things makes me nervous, and so I I, I don't own shares. On the other hand, you know it, it's got some really interesting players in its chairman's quite a character, and he has a great track record generally as as an investor, and he's been buying shares relentlessly. So I think a lot of people take heart from that. I'm not sure if it um, it means the stock will go up, but it's probably a positive sign. So sum it up for me, Claude. It's the game we play: I, buy, hold, sell. I think. I think I'm going to have to say hold because yeah. there's, you know, as long as you know what a high risk thing this is and that, you know, that there's valuation risk there. I don't want to be the person that says sell and then this thing goes on to be the real deal. And it has a product. It's selling stuff like this is far more legitimate mm-hmm. than half the like pie in the sky growth stories you see. This is actually like quite a every sign says it actually has a serious future ahead of it. And we're just arguing about the valuation. Luke, is the valuation too rich for you? Uh, it has been hit with COVID uncertainty, uh, but again, I guess it all comes down to increasing its share of the market. Yeah, look, I'll, I'll give a spoiler alert. I agree with Claude. The valuation is is too rich for me. I, I, I sort of it, look Polynovo. It's one that um, I'm obviously being familiar with. I'm sure Claude's the same, but it, I hadn't really looked too closely at it until um, you know um, researching it for today. Um, and and I found a lot to like about the business. I, I completely agree with Claude. It's clear there's a, a real product there. It's getting traction um, in its key markets, particularly the US. Um, and, and it wasn't until you know that that final bit of research where I looked at the the statistics of the company and saw. 1.5 billion yeah, I, I sort of uh, moved from a, a buy to a to, to, to probably a hold um, but look you know they're looking to develop a platform solution to their to their Novozorb polymer um, but but right now all their revenue comes from one product as you, you alluded to Nadine it's it's used in burns and wound care um, I agree with Claude I'm no expert on this on the space but they do claim that key thought leaders um, have adopted it as the standard of care um, so that's interesting to note um, first half was weak, um, COVID issues and, and getting into hospitals. That was a common theme across a lot of medical names that I follow. Um, if, if it was difficult to actually get in front of people and, and make sales. So they called out particularly October, November as weak. Um, the update the other day on the second half looked pretty strong. The one caveat and, and where I'll be interested to see the results next week, it was only an update on their US operations, which looked really good. It made me wonder, was this a sort of, you know, an update of emissions? So, so what was emitted in the update being more interested than what was actually put forward so i wonder how the rest of the world may be going when they just focus on the on the growth of the u.s sales in the in the update from a couple of months ago um but i agree with claude um you know uh chairman david williams has been buying a ton of market over a million dollars i went and um, added up um they changed the managing director's long-term incentives recently as well i'm not the biggest fan of this change so he's eligible to to be awarded 1.3 million shares if he can keep the share price above three dollars I'm not the greatest fan of LTIs that are tied directly to share prices. I much prefer EPS. 
But if you're a holder in this company, you know, it, it, it would give you some comfort that the um, the MD is, is aligned to, to driving value for you. It's just about how they do that, I suppose, is, is where you can have issues. Um, but look, the last update looked look promising. And, and, and the thing I took from it is they're, they're accelerating, uh, you know, in, into this second half. So again, this was only the US, but um, the fourth quarter was a record quarter at about 5 million. And they called out June being a record month of 2.4. So clearly you're accelerating, you know, not only in that last quarter, but in the last month of the quarter. Suggests they've got some really strong momentum. But I'll come back to it. Look, the valuation was just too steep for me to um, to come out and put a buy on it. So I'd be a hold at best, um, you know, uh, the, the the confidence the chairman buying um, and, and, and the quality of the product would, would probably hold me there if I, if I already own the stock. In agreement there. Let's get on to our next stock, PKS Holdings. This is for Cullum. He says it seems to be in a growing space, is a sticky product, which is backed by its retaining 99% of its customers. Callum says the PE is absurd, book value reasonable, yet as a long-term hold, I'm liking it. Uh, Claude's covered it in the past. Is his thesis still intact or is it too hot for him at the moment as well? Claude, I got to start with you on this one. Uh, sure. Well, I, the first thing I have to say is that I'm sure that uh, Callum's referring to an article that we published on A Rich Life um, called PKS Holdings uh, is a microcap stock in the land of the giants. And that actually wasn't my article or my thesis. That was actually written by a friend of mine um, called Fabregasto, who uh, owns shares. I haven't bought shares after it, so I'm not enjoying <laughs> the massive share price gains. Um, I think that so is the is the thesis still in intact? Um, you know, look, I would say from the outside, it looks like the thesis is going quite well. Uh, when we sort of started writing about this company, it was very much a subscale um, little software company that uh, had, I think, just pretty much just one main software product that helps um, clinical decision makers and pathologists, for example, make uh, or to make automate their decision making process in terms of how they treat and how they test specimens. So um, it's it's called Ripple Down, and it basically um, you know helps make sure they don't make mistakes, helps make sure they're standardizing their process and um, doing the right things there. Now, what it's done since then, which has sort of helped drive the share price, is that it made an acquisition of Pavilion Health. So that's rounded out its uh, product offering a little bit, and um, you know, given it growth by acquisition as well as you know, um, you know, it's renewed some large contact contracts that it had with. Ripple down. Now, the reason that I never really got completely enthusiastic about this one was because uh, a lot of its revenue came from reselling its software through, um, I think it was Abbott Laboratories doing it. So someone else reselling their software, that obviously like crimps their margin. It was very like no growth, low growth kind of for a long time in my view. And yeah, just a little bit subscale. So, but it, it, as it turns out, you know, it looks like, or at least the market really likes this acquisition. I think we'll have to wait a little bit of time before we we really see whether that has given the uh, company scale to grow. It's needed to raise capital recently, so I wouldn't say it's like sustainable yet. But it's on the it's on the right um, path for sure. And I did check with the author of our article, um, Fabregasto, and, and he says, uh, you know, basically, uh, obviously his view may change after the results that come out. But uh, for now, he has um, taken some profits. I think he sold a little bit less than half. Um, just because of the massive share price rise, uh, I think it's more than more than tripled. So it was a, become a huge position for him, and um, you know, but he still holds, and he think, he thinks the, the thesis is on track there as well. So for me, um, I'd have to give it 
I'll have to give it at least a hold, um, not having had the conviction to buy myself. Uh, but it does look like a good one, and, and obviously I'm picking myself for not buying. And more, more importantly, I just say from a top-down perspective, in my opinion, little medical tech software companies operating in a niche are a really good place to play. So, you know, you're never wasting time looking at that kind of company, in my view. Luke, have you spent any time looking at PKS prior to today? Uh, what is your, your estimation regardless? Yeah, look, I agree with Claude. Um, you know, it's normally such a rich uh, place to play in, in, in software and, and medical software in general. But I have to admit, again, it wasn't one I'd actually really looked at too closely um, until yesterday. And it looks it looks really interesting. Um, I, I won't go too much more into the product. Claude covered mm-hmm. that well, the, the core product of Ripple Down. Um, the acquisition looks strategically pretty good. It's uh, their, their acquisition was around sort of the quality and auditing of data that comes into, into their system. So if you're a knowledge management system, it makes sense that you want the data coming into that system to be as, as, as high quality as possible. So strategically, the acquisition looked good. Um, a little bit of growth there. Um, you know, they, they had 20% growth, but only 8% was organic, the rest driven by, by acquisition. Um, there was a fall in consultancy revenue, which sort of hit them. Now, go back to that point on Polynovo, you know, was that a case of just being difficult to get in front of people during COVID and, and you know, um, actually implement your sales and things like that? Management didn't specifically say, but it wouldn't surprise me if it was something like that. Um, the one thing I did take a note is I just wrote down here, um, beware the use of EBITDA. And, and what I mean by that is um, when, when this business touts EBITDA profitability, they exclude share-based payments, which aren't small. It was, it was well over a million dollars. Um, and they capitalize a lot of R&D. So when you capitalize that R&D that you, you know, you're spending cash up front to expense, if you then exclude your, your, your DNA when you use EBITDA, you, you're essentially just taking away your R&D costs. So um, it's not a practice that I, I, I love a great deal. Um, so despite claiming profitability, they burn about a million dollars in the first half and I expect the second half to be similar. So not quite at that scale yet, but an interesting business. Um, the share price has run really hard and probably a little bit too hard for me. Um, if I held it again, like Polynova, I'd probably still keep holding it. I, I think it is. it looks to be a, a decent quality business. The growth isn't as strong, but you'd have very sticky customers with that software. Um, but just, just the share price run um, and still that little bit of cash burn, I, I prefer to at least see break even or, or, or very close to it before I step into um, something like that. Thank you. PKS Holdings done and dusted. Let's get on to Nearmap. Nearmap did report this week showing improved momentum in North America. Uh, in fact, one of the brokers said that it's uh, it'll be overtaking Australasia in FY22. Uh, this company was in the spotlight. There was a short report done on it earlier in the year. Um, legal proceedings from Eagle View potentially impacting business. But overall, it looked like there was margin improvement in North America. Uh, Luke, let's start with you on Nearmap. What do you think? Yeah, look, to be honest, Nearmap is a stock I haven't been the biggest fan of in the past. But I I will admit, I actually thought this report was pretty solid. And and, um, the US was the major driver of that. I I thought the Australian business actually struggled a little bit and and, and management um, uh, brushed over a little bit. And and I tuned into the Nearmap call and there weren't many questions or comments on the Australian business. There was a lot of focus on the US, but probably rightly so, to be honest, because it was a, a really strong result from the US business. So look, I did grab a couple of numbers that impressed me. And, and the first one was, um, they drove their net upsell to existing clients, uh, doubled that from $8 million to $16 million. So to me, when I see something like that, um, and you're able to upsell to your existing clients, um, you know, you're doing something right where you're providing a good service to them. 
Um, they're clearly uh, not churning away, looking to spend more with you. They're, they're um, uh, you know, getting value from the services you provide. So that was a positive to see. Um, like I said, they reduced that churn from about 10% to 7%. So when you combine those two things, their annualized contract value did quite well. Um, but what probably impressed me the most, particularly with this US segment, was um, they found 30% um, contract value growth, but they actually wound back their marketing expenses from 27 million to 24. So previously in the past, one of the things I wasn't the biggest fan of with Nearmap was the top line growth looked great, but they, they were spending so much to achieve it. So you just weren't really seeing any scale come down to that bottom line. Um, this was maybe the first result where I've seen that they, they managed to continue that top line growth, but have some scalability over those operating expenses. And, and it led to a, to a pretty decent cash result, to be honest. Um, you know, again, uh, this is one a bit like Pacific Knowledge um, PKS we just talked about, where I wrote, I said beware EBITDA. Nearmap does a little bit of this as well. So, so they um, amortise their their capture costs when they they go up and, and and take the imagery in the sky. And this was the first report they actually amortised some customer acquisition costs as well. So, you know, you can exclude a lot of expenses mm-hmm. with your, your EBITDA number. So despite the EBITDA, they actually were about break even free cash flow, which they haven't done in the past. Um, you know, it's again a billion dollars for the for the valuation is is just where I can't, I can't I can't pay that. But from at a fundamental point of view, I actually thought this result was probably one of Nearmap's best. Um, if I was a bull, I'd actually take a lot out of this result um, for, for my long-term thesis. But I can't step in and buy it again. If I held it, I'd own it. Um, is probably the best I can say. Okay, so that's a hold from you now, Claude. Uh, what do you think of Nearmap with some of the issues that have previously been brought up in relation to the company, including potential legal proceedings? Is it just in the too hard basket or is it just too expensive? Um, I, th- I think it's just a bit too expensive. I've I've been actually in and out of Nearmap for quite a few years now since it was a small cap, Luke. Uh, where were you then, mate? Um, the... Uh, <laughs> since it was a very small company and I watched the sort of um, evolution of it into a much larger, you know, over a billion dollar company driven partly by share price rises, but also by consistently um, issuing more and more and more shares. And I sort of disagree with a a few points that Luke raised, though I agree broadly that, you know, actually these were pretty good results in the scheme of Nearmap's performance over the long term. But the problem is that, first of all, it was still $10 million cash burn once you include, they're quite expensive, they're about $5 million cash burn excluding leases. And then once you include leases, there's another $5 million. So it was, I think it was about $10 million cash burn in the most recent year. And um, yes, it does upsell and I'd have to check what happened this particular period, but I know for a fact in the in the past they've been not been shy about increasing prices, uh, both in Australia and um, overseas. So, and I think that's something that was in a short report as well. So basically, I would be a little bit careful about extrapolate or taking the fact that they've managed to upsell that is get more revenue from existing clients to as evidence that that is a sustainable form of growth because generally speaking, if you are just increasing prices, um, then basically, you know, you can't just keep on doing that forever mm-hmm. without at least adding more of a service. So that's one question I have there. And then secondly, uh, for on, on top of that, basically, um, I just think that people need to remember that these guys are never going to have software margins. Like they need to fly a plane and go and take photos. Okay. So it's not a software company 
it's not hasn't got like this wonderful uh perfect business model it's kind of got a tough business model in a way you got to have planes and all that kind of stuff so what it's trading at the moment is about 12 times gross profit which i would suggest is a better way to compare near map to other tech stocks than revenue and to me that doesn't seem it's not terrible it's not terrible i'm not like disagreeing with luke very much but for me i'd have to say i probably still are like i'd probably still personally go go to sell for this and it'd have to be lower for me to get excited about it having said that um these guys generally are really good at putting their best foot forward and convincing the market to um to buy buy the stock so i was kind of surprised at the muted share price reaction so mm -hmm. Maybe there is an opportunity there as they get out there and tell the story um, over the coming weeks. All right. So that is a polite disagreement with uh, Luke there. Now, that was for Scott. Uh, the next company on the list is for Reese. It's MSL Solutions. It's a technology that's used in stadiums all around the world. It's basically point of sale technology. Um, also manages the golf handicap system in Australia. It's just a little small cap, 60 mil market cap, asking the guys you both named in this one, uh, it, what they think about it. I mean, I had a chat with Pat Howard a couple of times, actually, over the past couple of years. It had just recently last time signed an agreement with Etihad Statement, which is home of Manchester FC in the UK, really looking for growth opportunities in Europe and also North America. Uh, who shall I start with? I'll start with you, Luke. What about MSL Solutions? Can you guys hear me? Yeah. I can hear you. Yep, Luke, yeah, MSL you, Luke. Solutions. What do you think? Yeah. Over to you. Sorry, start with me. Yeah, yeah. sorry. Um, yeah, look, I, the first note I jotted down was I, I thought this was one of the better quarters, um, quarterly results I saw in the in the latest reporting season. So um, let's just start there. I mean, 8 million receipts, 2 million operating cash flow on, on a 60 mil market cap. It's a, it's, it's a really solid result. Um, it was the first quarter as well this year. There was no um, government incentives as well, which was which was solid. Um, you mentioned Pat Howard, Nadine. Um, I, I, I thought it's been a fantastic turnaround in the business since he's come in. Um, made some small... Claude, we've you know, just got position since about twenty percent growth. Now keep going, Luke. Sorry, Sorry we me? lost you for a sec. You keep going. Sure. Um, yeah, so they acquired um, a small point of sale business I thought was a very good strategic acquisition. Um, they were actually one of the larger resellers of this software. So, you know, you're sort of just moving um, uh, up your supply chain a little bit there. And they've managed to grow that acquisition 20% since. Um, FY22 sets up to look okay. Some good contract wins they've announced with um, some, some um, stadium management uh, companies over in the UK. Um, Manchester City Football Club, two stadiums there. Um, despite that, one of the bigger questions I do have is just generally on the growth in the business. I think the, the turnaround that, that Pat and the team have put in place um, has been very heavily driven at that cost level and, and all credit to them. They've managed to take this business from what was a heavy, you know, EBITDA loss, cash burning business, uh, quite an average business, to be honest. And, and I actually owned it, so I'll, I'll, you know, I can say that. Um, but the question now is, is, is after that cost out, can, can you now see the growth come through? And, and, and to be honest, look, 
you, you probably do. The fourth quarter result probably points to some of that a, a little bit. It was by far the strongest cash result um, of the year. Um, they'll have a, a natural tailwind from a, from a COVID recovery as we see people come back to stadiums and events. Obviously, maybe not Australia right now, but uh, UK, um, where, where they've predominantly got some exposure, those guys are, are pretty much fully reopened. Um, so it's one that I really like. Look, I, I don't own it, but it's one that's been, you know, top of my watch list for a long, long time. And, and to be honest, I'm sort of kicking myself a little bit. I didn't just pull the trigger um you know before the last quarter because i suspected mm. that it would be really strong and it was so um look i'll actually put a buy on this um, I, I don't own it but but honestly it's one that's it's 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 first or second on my list nadine of, of to of right. one to really have a close look at well thanks luke claude are you as positive on uh, msl solutions ticker code msl uh i'm probably a little bit more cautious than luke although i do agree look basically there's there are different uh frameworks you can view these small cap stocks through um if you just view and, and the most important thing about a company that usually dictates its share price is the change or like what you call like the delta so like you want to buy small cap stocks when the rate of change is basically improving and, and it's getting better faster and i think that's exactly what we're seeing on that chart right so what's happened initially with msl solutions is it's been an ipo it's made in my view ridiculous promises and um what has happened is a lot of people have believed and this is with prior management by the way have believed what they were saying and just been completely disappointed and found themselves stuck in the stock and it's just been years in the doldrums and then what you've got is you know you the beginnings of a turnaround and and the first step in any turnaround is to basically get the thing cash flow positive and sustainable because if you're falling short and failing and at the same time needing to go to the market for more cash, that is just, you're going to get obliterated because no one's going to like you. They're not going to give you money easily. So you're going to have to end up diluting your existing shareholders terribly. Uh, so the first step is always to get the house in order. And look, that is clearly what they seem to have done over the last year. And, and that's great. But now the second question is how good is their actual positioning to be long-term growth? Like, is this just a turnaround story where you want to buy it when the change starts getting better and then sell it once the house is in order and people are starting to, mm -hmm. you know, like call it a buy again and that kind of thing? Or is it something that can really go on to create heaps of value? Now, I haven't done quite enough work to say yes or no in this yet, but I just want to raise a few points of skepticism uh, regarding like their recent announcements. Okay. So, for example... They've, uh, they've got these new stadium contracts, which and they're the kind of big wins that can be a, they can be a sign that really there is potential there and it could be a good time to buy and it's just the start of a new, a new era. But at the same time, as I understand it, they've bought this swift point of sale thing. So they have a point of sale product, but reading the announcements, it seems like what's happened with the stadium stuff is that they're um, moving uh, Manchester FC onto a different point of sale um, which I think they don't own, which someone else owns, called Capture, and it's coupled with MSL's full suite of guest engagement solutions. So it seems to me like their part here is just sort of a lot of, a lot of add-on software or next to somebody else's point of sale. Mm -hmm. Now, in terms of how you talk about analyzing software companies, what you really need to care about is where they are in the software stack and how powerful their position in the software stack is. Because the software that is most important can very easily expand into adjacent software products that are less important, basically. Mm -hmm. So you want to be the really important one that no one else can replicate and no one else can 
um, replace easily. And then that will allow you to just expand within the same cluster. And every software company on earth, basically, that's worth its salt is talking about how it wants to expand into its yeah. own customer base. So you have to think about that. I don't know the I don't know the product well enough to know where they sit there. But like my gut feeling is that usually the actual point of sale software provider has more power there. And then secondly, as a software company, like this looks okay in the in the sense that it has 12 million receipts from customers trading on 60 million dollars. So you know, let's call it five times receipts from customers, which is not very expensive. But at the same time, you've got to also remember it does have it's got diverse little bits of um, software here that don't like it's got the golf club stuff and it's got stadium stuff. And it's got like other other little specialties as yeah. well. So I don't know if that knits together particularly well to make a really great platform for growth. Um, that's the skepticism. Overall, judging it all together, I have to say I probably think that, you know, it probably is a decent buy right now um, just because things are improving. And, and generally speaking, if a company can continue to improve over time, the stock price will go up. However, a little bit of personal skepticism in the mix, in the mix there too. Claude, so is it a buy I guess today? I'll call it, uh, uh, okay, I'll call it a buy. I'll call it a buy, yeah. We got there. MSL Solutions, MSL, <laughs> it, these no. guys are agreeing. Claude doesn't own it. Luke doesn't own it. So I think that's worthwhile for viewers to take that as a grain of salt. But they do believe that it's a buy on this day on that potential turnaround and growth story. All right, guys, Claude, you know what? We're running a little bit short of time. Magellan Financial MFG for John. And I think this is a good question because we had the results announced earlier this week. Um, John says, I don't understand it. Profit before tax up 10%, funds under management up 2%, but profit after tax down 33%. How is it possible? A very quick 101 uh, to answer that question, Luke, and then whether or not you would be buying because Magellan has, of course, come under pressure. Yeah, look, to answer John's question, um, there's just a couple of items, um, you know, uh, in the after-tax line. The, the first one is, um, you know, Hamish and his team have embarked on uh, acquiring stakes in some other businesses. And, and the biggest one by far they've done is um, Baron Joey Capital Partners, the new investment bank. Mm -hmm. um, and, and by my estimations, it probably lost about $100 million last year. So Magellan, with their 40% stake, are forced to, you know, account for that loss in their profit and loss. So, you know, that's that's why you see a, a big chunk of that to their to their after-tax earnings. And then the other reason was a, a one-off expense they were forced to take with the restructure of three of their global funds. So I have to admit to John, I, I, I you know haven't looked too closely at the Magellan funds and how they're structured, but they did something where they merged the three funds together, and, and obviously there were some issues around tax and discounts and um, I think options provided to holders, um, and so Magellan uh, took a 150 million dollar. Um, impairment and uh, not an impairment provision charge against that so those were the two reasons john i think um, management team focused on a um you know adjusted number in their report which i think is fair um you know baron joey will probably have losses to continue but it won't be as big as what this first year was i mean it's the nature of these businesses you, you wear so much of the expense up front um and then you know now they can begin earning revenue and the loss will, will come down and, and certainly the restructure of the three funds was a, a definite one-off so um, I would focus on the adjusted number that management have put forward. Um, to, to, to come back a bit, Nadine, you know, Claude and I, we focus on small caps. I haven't looked at a Magellan report for, for many years, if maybe ever. I had to remind myself what just a brilliant business this is. You know, 65% net margins is nearly unheard of. Like just the scale they have over their thumb is, is unbelievable. Um, brilliant business. You're paying about 18 times earnings for that. Um, the one comment I jotted down, just to, to go quickly over it, I saw someone on Twitter say that um, they're trying to create a mini Berkshire. Um, 
And I actually agree with that that sort of take on this result. You know, they're looking to take the earnings from that funds management business and plug that into these new investments they're making. So they've bought a stake in Guzman Gomez. They've bought a um, you know a stake in Baron Joey. They've got a stake in Finclear. Um, you know, is is Hamish the next Warren? I'm not sure, but that now has to be part of your um, you know thesis moving forward on something like a Magellan. Um, you know, for the purposes of the buy hold sell today, I would hold it if I owned it. It's it's you know it's it's a big you know mega large cap. It's not not my space. I think Claude will probably say the same. But mm-hmm. it's a high quality business. You know, extremely high quality valuation seems okay. Um, capital allocation is now probably your biggest risk with the funds. But I'd say a hold. Hold. Uh, I'm going to be a bit brutal with you, Claude. Buy hold sell for Magellan. I know it's not your normal type of company, but uh, if you were an average retail investor out there, is it good enough for you? I'd say. Hold and just to, to, the other point is performance fees were lower, I think, because they blew up on a lot of uh, China listed ADRs or yeah. you know, China domiciled ADRs basically. So performance fees were down as well. That affected pro- adjusted profit. And the profit before tax number that was up was actually just of the funds management business. So it excludes those, um, those factors that Luke perfectly outlined. Yeah, good. All right. You know, sorry to be a bit, bit blunt there, but we do not want to miss out. Just a bit of a halfway point recap. The stock of the day, Adair's, a sell from Luke, buy. Uh, uh, sorry, sell from Claude, buy from Luke. So a bit of a disagreement there. The next one, Polynovo, hold from both. Uh, hold for PKS Holdings from both. Hold for Neomap from Luke, sell from Claude, buy. We've got something going in the portfolio, MSL Solutions. And Magellan Financial, great uh, commentary there coming from, from Luke and Claude hold for both of the gents. So let's just take us a very quick look at where the portfolio is, thanks to our partner NAB Trade. And we've got a one week return down by seven tenths of a percent. We have had four negative trading sessions though. Month, one month return up by two and a half percent. Year to date, 2.6%. <coughs> Excuse me, and that's just from July 1st, 2021. Lately, we've put in Magnus Energy, Telstra, Rays, BHP, and Nick Scali out of the portfolio, Jenison Education, Virgin Money, Link, and BetaShares Asia Technology Tigers ETF. You can look at this portfolio at ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Looking forward to hearing what my guests here today, Claude Walker from A Rich Life, Luke Winchester, joining us again, get to Macquarie <laughs> Telecom for Raymond. Um, yeah, just looking for a view of Macquarie Telecom. Yeah, this guy's been watching it for a while. It's been doing pretty well. Claude, has he missed the boat? Um, I, so Macquarie Telecom, like what, what a great company. Like it's exactly the kind of company that you should be looking at as a retail investor. It's underfollowed by the, by the big brokerage houses. It's, it's probably under owned by the funds. Uh, what it does is it's a sort of uh, a very old telecommunications company. It's had some different business in the past. It Long-term tele- telcos have to move with the punches, right? Move with the times, of course. Where their growth area now is, is data centers, centers and like cloud services to governments. So um, yeah, you just think of it in a way of like data centers for governments, except you, what you've got to keep in mind is that Australian government has a lot sort of specific requirements of it, its cloud providers, which means that perhaps, uh, say, Google or Amazon is not appropriate for that. So there's a specific niche that it's going for there. And that's actually where it's been rather successful. Um, on top of that, it must be said, these guys, this is a founder-owned, uh, mm. founder-led company. Everything I've watched them for mm, must be more than half a decade at least by now. And I can remember prevaricating at, at, at buying it about $14 or something. 
and, and deciding it was too expensive then, well, you can see the share price and what it's done. And so part of that has been multiple expansion because uh, I guess cloud um, and data center providers have become much more the flavor of the month mm -hmm. these days. However, you must remember about Macquarie Telecom is that's only the good parts of its business is hmm, only about, I think about half, well, I can't remember off the top of my head, sorry about that, but there is a significant declining legacy telecommunications um, part of the business, which I expect will probably continue to decline. It's been declining for a while. It's still very profitable mm -hmm. and, it, and it makes a significant contrib contribution. So that's the downside. You've got to keep that in mind. Look, it's trading on around 20 times a bit, I think, which um, is uh, 21 times a bit, which is like fairly expensive, right, uh, for a cloud provider in my view. However, I have to say, taking into account um, more the relative valuations and where we sit in the broader market, if the question is, do I think this is cheap? No, I don't think it's cheap. But I've been saying it's too expensive and then thinking that I missed the boat for five years and it's just gone up and up and up. So learn from my mistake. Don't anchor to where it was before. Take it on its merits. If what you're looking for is a cloud, you know, a cloud center, data center, cloud exposure company run by honest and competent management, which is always half the battle, then I would say that this is actually quite a good one. And I don't own myself for the exact same reasons um, our questioner says, I feel like I've missed the boat. It's too high now. It's too expensive. I'm looking for something, un, you know, lower. Um, but I have to say, you know, part of me thinks I should own this because I you're, think what you're saying growing, is do as I say, do as I say and not as I do. So are you putting a buy on it today? Yeah, well, I only have a limited amount of capital. So it's not one of my ideas that I have in my portfolio, but oh, I think it's probably a cool. buy, like just right. on the fact that it's just a good company. Is it expensive? Yes, it is. You'd have to be prepared yep. for a potential drawdown if you did buy. Yeah, all right, Luke, would you be buying Macquarie Telecom? Yeah, look, indeed, I'll be quick. I agree with everything Claude just said, <laughs> even down to him, you know, uh, flip-flopping on the valuation and, and trying to rationalise it based on the quality of the business. I 100% agree. It's, it's, it's you know, it's a, it's a really high-quality business. It's not cheap, but it's not screamingly expensive, particularly if you put it next to Next DC. Um, and, and I think, again, you've got to take a longer-term view with it. But if you can buy this and, and, and hold it for the next three, five years, you will do extremely well. So, yeah, I'm more than happy to put a buy on it as well. Another one going in the portfolio today, guys. We're on a roll. Macquarie Telecom for Raymond. Hope that uh, helped you with your, your questioning about missing the boat. Frontier Digital Ventures for Ryan FDV. I'll start with you, Luke. Uh, this is in the online classified space, but in uh, you know, Malaysia, in a lot of these developing mm. countries. It's, it's been a fan favorite with many on this program. Is it one that you like? Um, yeah, look, it is, to be honest. Um, the, the reason why it's such a fan favourite is because of the quality of the management involved. So um, uh, Sean, De, Sean D. Gregorio, I'll get that right, is the, um, is, is the, is the guy leading mm -hmm. the, the business here. And he's XREA, XI property. Um, he, his track record speaks for itself. And, and, and for me, particularly that experience with I property before it was bought by REA, um, you know, he built that business up in, in, in emerging um, economies and, and, and built the platforms that eventually REA bought. So he's, he's well and truly got the experience to do this. So it's, it's very much people, you know, uh, the jockey more than the horse because um, it's still very early days for, for FDV and its, and its um, portfolio of, of marketplaces. Um, I, I did make a note, look, you get a very good split of geographies across South America, Asia and Africa tilted towards property portals over auto and general, which I don't mind. I actually think the property portals are, are probably stickier than the others. Um, the one note I did take is that a um, Pakistan property portal um, called Zameen is about 50% of their revenue and nearly all of their EBITDA. So 
if you if you take all the other businesses they own, it's pretty much a wash. It's about break even, and so Zameen makes up all of the EBITDA. Um, so it'd be worth tracking Zameen on on you know a website like SimilarWeb or, mm-hmm. or wherever you want to track website traffic. Um, if if that um, uh, website continues to do well, you'll probably see Frontier Digital continue to do well. So um, look, the valuation is where it gets me at, at that 500 mil. It's still very much early days. It's difficult to value on earnings because it doesn't really have any. Um, you have to take that more strategic view of of the the, the latent value, I guess, yeah. in these property portals. Um, but for me, I, I would hold it if I owned it. Um, mm-hmm. I would probably just wait um, for a bit of a pullback or, or wait for some more development in, in the earnings before I would buy. Claude, is it again a valuation story for you? Uh, no, not really. Okay. Actually, it's just not the, it's not the sort of business that I'd really invest in. Um, I just think that yeah, call me old-fashioned, but I like to be able to run the ruler over the business a little bit better than you can. This is just a collection of businesses from Myanmar, Pakistan, Colombia. You know, I'm sure the people owning shares, buying it, bidding up $500 million for this collection of business have literally no idea about any of these businesses. They've probably never been to the majority of the countries where the businesses are. They have no understanding of anything about this business at all. Yeah. To me, it's just the ultimate, like, story stock. It's, oh, it's a story. Okay. So would you get, would get you sell REA it? Of Pakistan. Would you sell it or, uh, or just hold it? Just I, quickly. Yeah, I mean, uh, sell. I I don't. I wouldn't hold a story stock. I'm not saying I've traded this one. I trade it when I guess yeah. when someone's going to ramp it, but I don't hold it. No. Okay, good. Now the next one is a company that I've got to say I didn't know about. K N O is the ticker code for Katrina Gnosis. I think is how you'd say that. Luke, uh, this is a specific question for you. What's your view? Um, yeah, look, I'll try to be quick, Nadine. I, I do own a small amount of Gnosis. It's one I've owned for a while. It's very small, though, so I will say that, Katrina. Um, uh, so the core business is, is a knowledge management system, a little bit similar to, to Pacific Knowledge we discussed before, but rather than being a health niche, it's, a, it's an enterprise business. So what originally attracted me to this business, it was spun out of ANZ. Um, so um, it's, it's, it's enterprise software. Um, ANZ's a core customer. Optus is a core customer. Um, you know, these guys do one to $1.5 million deals with that core knowledge IQ business. So the original thesis was that they were somewhere, you know, one or two enterprise sales away from um, seeing some good cash flow. Um, they would be able to, you know, reinvest, sorry, reinvest strongly back into the business and, you know, a bit of a, bit of a, you know, tails I don't lose much, heads I win sort of scenario. Now, that thesis has changed a little bit, mostly by management embarking on a bit of an acquisition strategy. I must admit, it's not ideal. I prefer organic growth, or, you know, anyone would. Um, but so far, um, the acquisitions they've made, they haven't overpaid for them. They've structured them well with script to keep the vendors interesting. Um, but there's no real strategic overlap between them. It's, it's just accumulating various, you know, software assets. Um, the, the latest results show they're getting a mm-hmm. little bit of traction in moving this um, key knowledge uh, key knowledge software down from enterprise to mid-markets. They, they've uh, bought on five new mid-market customers for 300k ARR. Um, a little bit of success there. Look, I still hold it. Um, I probably keep that same view of, of, you know, your downside's pretty capped by the valuation and your upside, if they can land another one or two of these enterprise deals is, is what you're looking for. Um, so to, to answer Katrina's question, I still like it. I'd size that small and, and, and you know, it'd, it'd be sized in accordance with, with that, uh, okay. that, that risk. Yeah. Also, Katrina, keep in mind, this is information. It's not for your own personal financial circumstances. You do potentially need to get advice. Claude, buy, hold, sell for Gnosis. Yeah, so this has previously been a buy for me, and I have I do own some shares as well. 
However, I'm going to be a little bit more negative um, about the stock than Luke is because basically I think what it's turned into now is a... Um, so the first thing, it's, it's, it's a roll-up of like, you know, little software, subscale software companies, which yeah. is not the most ridiculous idea. But um, the problem is, I guess, when I bought in, they'd done one acquisition, which seemed at least quite synergistic to me. Um, and I hoped would like get it more on of a, a growth trajectory. Um, actually, that, that happened not long after I bought even. Um, yep. And then they've done another one since then of like library management software, which I actually spoke to the CEO and I was like, this seems to have nothing to do with your other business at all. Like what's going on here? Mm -hmm. And I guess the unifying thread as he told it was basically that um, their, their sort of uh, HR software and their um, knowledge management software and the library software all has to do with um, businesses that use intranets, uh, which I guess is true. And I guess there could be some cross-sell opportunities there. But also at the same time, I'm not really sure if like a roll-up of software businesses that um, focus on intranets is really the best uh, place that I want to be, basically, because I feel like that's probably on the, long, uh, on the wrong side of some long-term trends there. So do I think it'll work? Like, I agree with Luke. I think there's downside protection because it's very cheap. But, um, you know, basically what it seems to be is, you know, they're going to trade on five times revenue and they're going to try and buy stuff on um, two or three times revenue and, and, you know, the arbitrage happens. Well, the problem with that strategy is you're yeah. going to end up with a, bu a bunch of low growth little businesses. Okay, so together, you were a buyer previously. Would you be a seller now, Claude? I haven't yet sold, but Ooh, okay. I, I think I'm going to sell. I don't really like the new strategy that much. I'm going to have to come up I with a new term cheap. for that. It's a cusp of a sell. That's what we'll call it. We've yeah, got to go to Mercury NZ. This one is for Chloe, guys. We've got to go through these ones a little bit quicker. Um, and Claude, right. perhaps you can start with Mercury NZ. MCY is the ticker code. Now, Chloe points out that the company's electricity generation is renewable. Would that be enough to attract you to one of these utility plays in New Zealand? Uh, no, but I once upon a time, it totally was the kind of thing that I would do. Um, yeah, look, I think that, uh, so utility is not really my game. I don't think, look, honestly, I'm just guessing here, but often it's young people that are interested in investing in renewable energy. And um, if I think young people generally probably want to be uh, investing in something with uh, a little more growth prospects than an infrastructure company. Um, having said that, you know, if you want to have as part of a, a well-rounded portfolio an infrastructure company, I've seen I've seen no problem with owning this one whatsoever. Um, just keep in mind that um, New Zealand does have some uh, idiosyncratic things to do with its uh, its electricity market in terms of I think it has a large smelter, which is a large um, bit of demand. I'm not sure how that closing down could affect this one, but I know that that's been that's been an issue in the past that the mm -hmm. market's worried about. But if you were going to just hold for the long term and have, you know, this is my renewable energy infrastructure part of my yep. portfolio, I'm not expecting big things, then I think it's reasonable enough. I guess I'll I'd call, call it a hold. hold. And Luke, you don't get to weigh in. It's a buy, hold, sell. What would you do with the Mercury NZ? Yeah, I agree with Claude. I think it's a hold. There's no red flags to it. So if you want ESG or you want a yield, why not? Okay. Absence of red flags. We like that. Now, Treasury Wine Estates is the last one on our list. This is for Keith. It did report this week. Some of the people I've been speaking to said, well, considering the headwinds, you know, being thrown up by China in particular, it actually wasn't a bad result. And it's talking about growth in some of its other markets. It looks as if it's starting to be able to execute to find those other growth markets. Luke, do you like TWE other than potentially just drinking the wine? 
um, look, I don't love it, but but look, I jotted down the word resilient. I agree. I thought it was a resilient result. Um, you know, if you'd said to me that China earnings would fall from 38 million to five, you know, what would Treasury wine look like? It wouldn't have been this result. So fair credit to management. They managed to shift most of the China weakness to rest of Asia sales, which my first thought was, is that just grey channels going back into China? Um, I'm not sure, but that's my, my, my first thought. Um, and they leveraged penfolds, um, which ironically, this was one they flagged they may sell. But um, the, the thing, the note I did jot down was penfolds had a, a 9% fall in volume, but a 3% rise in revenue. So they've really leveraged the premium mm. nature of penfolds there, which I think is a, a very good move. Um, yeah, look, good cash generation, paid down some debt. Um, not cheap, 35 times earnings. You've got to have some sort of view on China, which that's where I struggle. Um, for me, it's a hold at best. You've had a good recovery from the, from the lows of, of peak panic. Um, but, you know, if those China earnings don't come back, then it looks expensive here. Um, that's, that's sort of really the, the view you have to take on, on Treasury wine, I think. Yeah, because, Claude, this company, I mean, it's, it's yes, China, but it, it has had some issues in the past as well. I know you're a Caesar man if you want to treat yourself, not necessarily wine, but would you be buying TWE on potential, you know, turnaround recovery story? Um, yeah, look, I love, I love a good Pinot, and I think that this <laughs> result was fantastic. Uh, however, um, look, it's just a capital intensive business, right? And this was a great result. And they have some great brands in Penfolds. I think that's the best of it. But this is a capital intensive business trading for a reasonably high multiple. That means for me, the best it could get really would be a hold. Got it. Oh, Claude, I've got to introduce you to a Caesar. It's, uh, it's got Clamato. It's a bit of a Canadian specialty. It's uh, one better than a Bloody Mary, I've got to say. Uh, yeah, listen, guys, so <laughs> that's fun. We're a Friday. Thank you so much for your insights. Uh, really valuable. Great to have you guys on together and we'll endeavor to do it again. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for having doing. me. It was a great show. Lick Winchester there joining us as well as Claude Walker. Uh, let's just quickly, I mean, you don't need me to repeat what's been said. I probably don't ever need me to repeat, but we've got a buy from Macquarie Telecom from both of our guests. So it's going in the portfolio. It was agreement on many, including Gnosis and Mercury and Zed, Treasury Wine. Both guys saying really good result overall, but it's just not a buy for either one of them. So we've got mostly holds here. It was a great program. Thank you so much for joining us. If you'd like us to answer one of your questions, you can email us at the call at ausbiz.com.au or tweet us ausbiz. TV. And you can check out that portfolio at ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. We'd love you to tell your friends about us. Uh, the more the merrier, right? That's how I look at life. And uh, just to incentivize you a little bit, we've got a prize pool worth 10 grand, including five grand in a self-wealth account. To do so, just while you're checking out the portfolio, go to ausbiz.co, join if you don't already get the COB newsletter, and share the Ausbiz love. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.